0: Uh, Let's ask the Lord's blessing and get into the text. Dear Lord, we're very grateful. Thank you for all these kids. Thank you for the beautiful, pretty easy summer we've had. We thank you for Jamie's time in our body. We'd ask that you'd be with her. as She's off to the Far East. We'd ask that you would uh, bless the year ahead and bless our time in your Word. In your Son's name, Amen. Okay. I guess Jamie got away. She came back just to say goodbye. She had been through five, three or four operations on her feet last year, and she graduated already. But she hadn't been around because of the operations. So uh, she came to say goodbye, and off to Cambodia was it, David? Yes. She's off to Cambodia um, to teach English. Pretty neat. Okay, the sermon notes. As you could tell, it's Colossians. Now, there are a few things that got my attention about it. Well, I love the book of Colossians. Uh, it's a, um, it's one of those good letters of Paul. He's not dealing with problems in people like Galatians or Corinthians or Romans. It's more like Philippians. So it's people he likes people he's just saying good things to admonishing in a good way now i was thinking something off of last week's sermon and in last week's sermon we were in first corinthians first corinthians 5 with a preface out of first corinthians 4 and in first corinthians 4 st paul says this to the corinthians and i have it here at the top of your left-hand column. I urge you that be imitators of me. Therefore I sent to you Timothy my beloved and faithful child in the Lord to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. Some are arrogant as though I were not coming to you but I will come to you soon if the Lord wills and I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people but their power for the kingdom of God does not consist in talk but in power. So what I was, that was sitting on my mind. It was a great passage about what Christianity ought to be viewed as being. And, and St. Paul sort of drawing a line in the sand and saying, I'm willing to throw down against anybody who comes up, any arrogant individual who says that it's not what I teach, it's what they teach. He's willing to contend with them because the power of God, we're talking about the righteousness of Christ, was, was evident in St. Paul so he wanted to say this is what Christianity is this is what I always teach about it this is what I, I teach it in every church at all times and I'm sending you Timothy to remind you of what I teach and as I was looking at Colossians, now we're in chapter 3 but I was looking at the the uh, context and the first verse the first verse of uh, Colossians says Paul an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy our brother. It's one of those situations where St. Paul writing to one of the all the churches in tandem with the guy he sent to the Corinthians is going to discuss the nature of the Christian life in Colossians. This is that one of that great moment where you get to look at Colossians and say, this is the teaching of the apostle. This is Sort of the centerpiece. Timothy's heavily involved with it. This is one of the churches that's doing it well and correctly. And to take another view, as Paul says in First Corinthians, is arrogant. Now, when you you have a choice, right? And I don't think we always identify the nature of our choices. We don't. Uh, Leslie and I were talking last night. It was one of those odd days at the big house where nobody came over because I hear there was a bachelor party and a bachelorette party, and consequently, all the usual suspects were involved and not at our house. So we sat there and talked, and we were talking about how people will say things, Christians will say things to you, to you as a member of the clergy. As if they had even a thought why they would ever say something that awful, that self-absorbed, or that divisive, or that angry, that annoyed. You go, do you do, look? Do you do you know what you're saying? Do you know what? Do you know what? How you would have to define that? Could you define what you just said to me? What you had to be motivated by to say it? And then they just think of shooting the breeze with the pastor. And they're actually just going, I'm a life of sin. And they, because it's not immorality or drinking to excess or something like that, they, they think they're not in sin. They just think they're fellowshipping. And really they're admitting that they're an annoyed bastard. It helps to stop and think, what do I have to be? To do this, if you are going to choose between the Apostle Paul's teaching and your teaching, the conceit has to be massive for you to choose you. I mean, if you think I'm going to put together a road map for my life that I like better than the Lord Jesus Christ put together or His apostles put together, I'm going to, put, and then I'm going to read, you know, uh, uh, everything from Jordan Peterson to Stephen Hawking to R.C. Sproul and put together a life based on the guys, the, the apostles I picked. Because really what that's what it comes down to. God picked his apostles. You just have to recognize them. You can go try and pick your apostles, the people that would teach you, but watch out for the conceit of your own, your own arrogance. It's not talk. It's not... The fanciness of your ideas its not how smarty-pants you can be. It is whether or not it has the power to save and the power to make righteous. So that's what we're dealing with in Colossians. This is the moment that he was hinting at, or the content he was hinting at in 1 Corinthians 4. Now over on the right-hand side, I have in italics, past parts of Colossians, I, I don't want to go through all, it's just such a rich book. It's got that great section in chapter one about the person of Christ, kind of a panegyric on who he is. But just before he goes into that in Colossians 1.13, he says, he has delivered us from the ben- dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. If anything, Colossians, if you step back at 100 yards and look at it, you'd go, wow, this is about Jesus Christ. It is no surprise. We are called Christians. It is no surprise that, that this is about the Son of God, who he was, what he taught, who he commissioned to go out and teach. What is it? Oh. I mean, have you ever been to a church, that, like a real church, like a professional church? Um, and you sort of get the idea that yeah they called Christians even Jesus Christ in the name or, or the hymns or whatever else but you sort of got the feeling that nothing is about Jesus Christ here really it's about programs or it's about paychecks or it's about, or it's about turf wars or it's about even if they're doing good you know not you know, having all the awful little sins that Christians get themselves involved with, but that they get themselves involved with a ministry to the world that has nothing to do with Jesus Christ. Because with Jesus Christ, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins, he doesn't say, in whom we have healed the, Lord, the world's social issues, or in whom we have the best political avenue we could take as Christians. Now, he says, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Jesus Christ, if anything. It should be a positive swear word, you know. How we can, uh, you, you know, you, you've, you've been around and maybe you've even done this yourself and you said, oops, probably shouldn't have done that. Something happens and you say, Jesus Christ. Or Jesus H. Christ, if you're really moved. Or if you're godly, Judas Priest, and we can say two biblical things without it being about God. And it's about a rock and roll band. It's, a, it's, sort of a, it's sort of a positive it's a positive, almost a hallelujah for the believers. Jesus Christ! Stop and think about who Jesus Christ is to you. Because that's what he wants to do with the first two chapters of Colossians. He carries you through. He says that great, you know, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. It's a wonderful section. It's not the altar call yet, Rona. Little sack of sin. She wanted her water. Okay. I want you to pay attention. You're in the front row. Look at these other, I I broke out a few key passages uh, there in the first two chapters. First 27 of chapter 1. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery which is Christ in you. The hope of glory. Start to jot down in your little moleskin journal the redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Christ in me. The hope for the glory. Chapter 2, verse 2. The knowledge of God's mystery, of Christ, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. That's how you, you break it apart while you're reading it. So it just doesn't become a glaze of Bible terminology. You know how the trend in the uh, last oh, probably five years, maybe more, uh, for emph- emphasis, somebody will put the word, period, the next word, period, the next word, period, that's what you want to do. In whom, period, our head, period, all, period, the riches, all the treasures of the wisdom and knowledge. You get that? This is, you can say... Well, not all. I mean, I could read Aristotle and get some other stuff. Hold it, hold on. You didn't pay attention in chapter 1. This is the God. This is not the teacher of the Christians. This is the God who made everything. Who all things that are perceivable in this world, whether it's perceived by Aristotle, perceived by Jordan Peterson, perceived by anybody else, is our Lord, all wisdom and knowledge. Everything you pursue. Verse 6. As therefore you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so live in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. For in him the whole fullness, is verse 9, The in him the whole fullness is of deity dwells bodily. And you have come to fullness of life in him who is the head of all rule and authority. All treasures, of wisdom and knowledge, redemption, forgiveness of sins, the hope of glory, all rule and authority, the fullness. This is what we, the first two chapters of Colossians, like falling off a log, if you want to go get edified sometime, just go back and read the first two chapters of Colossians. You'll you'll str- You know how when you confess your sins, you know, I you better confess your sins. Well, you, just just a sense of clean, and you walk out into the day knowing the Lord has forgiven you, and you know you're ready for the Christian life. Reading the first two chapters of Colossians, and then reading the third, then reading the fourth. Wonderful declaration of all that we have. It the the, the this is one of those. Um, people, if they wrote this about any other ministry than the ministry of Christ and his apostles, it would be hyperbole, right? But it doesn't even feel like hyperbole. The fullness of deity dwelt bodily in Christ. And you have come to fullness of life in him. And then it says in verse 20, if with Christ... You died to the elemental spirits of the universe. Why do you live as if you still belong to the world? First, he has shoveled all this Christ, Christological, and I don't want you to get sidetracked by a word like Christological because that's knowledge, logical of uh, the word of Christ, the the logos of Christ or the understanding of Christ. Because that takes you away from the person of Christ. But whatever you have Christologically in your first two chapters, he comes to a close at the end of two in verse twenty. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the universe, you say, hold it. That sounds like an indicative question. You know, it's like if if it really this really happened to you, if you died with Christ. To the elemental spirits of the universe, why do you live as if you still belonged to the world? Now, I said that, I wanted to put that, that verse came to my mind first because the first verse of what we're covering, you say you've been talking too long already of it, well, the actual sermon starts in the next verse. Look at verse 1 of chapter 3. If then you have been raised with Christ. And so your, your, your mind should have gone, if then you've been raised with Christ. Let me read the previous verses. He says, if then you have died with Christ, and then if then you have been raised with Christ. This is a state. It's indicative, not an instruction. Now, there are instructions in the passage. But you've got to put, my father always could uh, talk for hours on the distinction between indicatives and imperatives. If then you have died with Christ... And then you hear some Bible teacher says, this is telling us that we need to put ourselves to death daily uh, against our nature. Well, he uses those terms a little bit later in the passage. But he's telling you this has happened. This portion of death has happened. You have died with Christ to the elemental spirits. Now, I'm not going to get into the elemental spirits, what they're all to do with and the like. But it has to do with keeping the rules. Why do you submit to regulations? Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle. Referring to things which perish as they are used according to human precepts and doctrines. Earthly religion. Whether it's the Jewish religion or pagan religion, it doesn't matter. It's a a group of instructions you must follow. That's living according to the world. You've died to that. We've died to those things. Much the same way, Then when Paul in other places says you're uh, you're bound to your husband as long as he lives, if he dies you're set free, you can marry again. Someone's will is enacted once they die. This this is your death declared. And you've got to decide whether you're in the company of those whose death has been declared to the elemental spirits. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits, if, verse 1 of chapter 3, you have been raised with Christ, If that's the case, you could say, well, I don't belong to that kind of Christianity. I belong to the kind of Christianity that's like rotary, and I wanted to just join a club where I could raise the kids that uh, had a kind of smattering of virtue and maybe some smells and bells, some uh, programs for the family like Boy Scouts. Well, if you want that, go get that. There are other churches that will offer that. This isn't one of them. We believe Christianity here. You, have, you were not checked at the door. You, we have, once again, sin in the camp. That's all going to be on the recording. We do not edit this stuff. We give it to the people raw. It's like a live performance. She's going to get saved someday. You have to decide whether you're belonging to Christianity. This goes back to that whole, do you, do you go God, Christ, St. Paul, Timothy, and you? Or is it you and Stephen Hawking, you and your social professor, you and your girlfriend, decide what's going to be life? You know my opinion of that, you're not smart enough to run your own life. You better pick God, Jesus Christ, St. Paul, Timothy. But decide. If this is the case, these are the instructions. Now what's good to note is once he's indicated what you are, dead to the elemental spirits, raised with Christ, he then has instructions for you. That means instructions that you must... Instructions that you must... um, tie to the condition of things. You've been told what the condition is. If you're in this situation, if you're in this situation, I should not be following church rules. One reason we don't have church rules here is because we've told you for years not to follow them. That would cause a little bit of a consternation. If you have been raised with Christ, You are to seek the things that are above. If these are the case, this is what Paul teaches at all the churches. He wants the Corinthians to know, the Colossians to know. He wants them to imitate him, how he runs his Christian life. Are you going to imitate St. Paul as he runs his Christian life? He and Timothy. Where they have a sense of what is and then an ought attached to it. The is does not make a fated ought. That if I become a Christian, God will make me do all the right things. He says, God has done something in you, which is why you do the right things. One, you stop following the rules. Why do you submit to regulations? And two, you seek the things that are above. Well, all the things that are above, you go back and look at them the redemption, the forgiveness of sins, the hope of glory, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge the fullness of deity, fullness of life. All those things. always well, told me to seek the things that are above. The reason? Not because it's just heavenly subjects. It's where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above. So, first off, decide where you are. Have you died with Christ to these things? Have you been raised with Christ to these things? Well then you've got some instructions to seek and to set. Seek more of what you had in Christ. You were given that of Christ that saved your soul from hell. You were given redemption, forgiveness of sins, a hope of glory, a path to the wisdom and knowledge because in in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And that's why I'm told to seek the things above because that's where these things are. For you have died and your life is hid with Christ in God. My life is up there hid with Christ. So if I want to understand my life that I've been raised to, I want to seek that Christ in heaven for that knowledge, for that understanding. When Christ who is our life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Now, Christians have a variety of opinions about let's say Christendom has a variety of opinions i put my glasses back on so I can see who you are some Christian groups we'll call them Christian groups uh, don't even believe in conversion of the soul they don't have a sense of nature's being changed they don't have a sense of of um, passing from death to life. I don't know if you knew that about the oldest, you know, the the, the Orthodox communion, Greek and Russian and so forth, or the Roman Catholic. At, at least in terms of their doctrine. It doesn't actually have a conversion. You join the church and you you believe the stuff and you observe the sacraments and you get the grace. But it's, it's sort of a continuum for from infant child through dead man at the other end there's this continuum of possible belief structures none of which accomplish the conversion of the soul you could talk to a priest of any orthodox uh, faith and ask him are you going to heaven He's he say, I don't know if I'm going to heaven I'm a priest I, I hope I keep up the good work until I'm dead I know some Protestants who recently have started thinking along the lines of, there isn't such a thing as nature that can be converted. You have to stop and decide who it is you're going to hear. Who it is, what does it say? Remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. You have to decide whether you're going to take St. Paul's view Or the current popular new think. Now, I don't want to spoil my own nest here. As some of you know, who come over to my house and get into arguments with me, which is great, you probably realize that I have some views, just to say, that are crazy talk. Okay? It sounds to you like this is the, one of the standard things at the end of the Revelation Bible study we had a Revelation Bible study in my backyard, potluck, everybody came to it we had about 35 people and I think it was Stephanie in the back hand went up at the end of the last session <clears throat> she spoke to the mind like this Han? does anybody else anywhere believe this? I said no no one does. Except St. Paul. You know, St. John the Apostle. I... You, have to, you have to look at this in all respects because you've got to be looking at who's teaching not something that's entertaining, not something that is trend conscious or makes you feel hipper than most. You've got you to say, who's teaching what the Apostles say. There's that comment I think in John I think it's in John. It's gonna be one of those moments when Andrew's gonna to have to text me about where. Um, I always said in 1 John four, the apostle says, "They are of the world. Therefore, what they say is of the world, and the world listens to them. We are of God. Whoever knows God listens to us." And he who is not of God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. We're actually going through life making decisions and distinctions about what we're claiming when we follow a thought. If you say, well, I don't really agree with Paul about this. You say, okay, I'm just going to be calling myself one of the arrogant ones from now on out because I am conceited about my own view. All your views ought to make their case for being, I am more right than apostles, or I am teaching what the apostles taught. What you want to be doing, preferably, is teaching what the apostles taught. So when he says, you're having these categories of indicative statements about who you are as a Christian, and if you claim this, death and resurrection doesn't mean that all your next decisions are made for you, because look what he says. I'm supposed to set my minds on heavenly things so I'd learn more about Christ and more about this life. Seek the things above. Then he says in chapter 5, verse 5, put to death, therefore. He says, hold on, if you died, put to death. Well, then, say, there are two deaths. (coughs) Execute I was thinking of this, I put this note on the side. Because the phrase, put to death, is not, I want to have a warning for you. One of the things that grabs an eye as you're reading through at least the RSV of Colossians 3, is how many puts there are. P-U-T. Put this, put this on, put this to death, put this off, put this, put this. Above all, put on love. What is, what are all the puttings? They're not the same word. They're the same word in English. But put to death is not the same as um, put off. Okay? Put to death is pretty much put it to death. You ever stop and go, okay, I'm a barbarian king. I have waged war on my enemies. I have captured thousands. And then you kill all your captives. That's what it's like, basically. You won the war. And then you kill the captives. That's what's happened here. You have died with Christ to the elemental spirits. Now, to whatever degree, you could say, I have died with Christ because the death of Christ put those things to death. And now I must die with him. You could separate it like that. Whatever the case, one of the deaths is done, one of the deaths is not but I'm supposed to come up with an imagery that says, how do I claim the death I stand in against the elemental spirits, and how do I put to death what remains earthly in me? And then he gives a list of sins, right? Fornication, impurity, (coughs) passion, evil desire. Now, in case you were were wondering, you know, if you pay attention to the news, or the culture problems, or the amount of sin in the world, you, you begin to say, this is, this is so bad. This has never been this bad in history. Never been this bad. It used to be, you know, people would struggle with petty theft and maybe lying on interview forms, that for centuries that's all they did that was wrong. Petty theft and falsifying a resume. But here, today, San Francisco, you know, Diving into the ground, the apostle seems to every time he lists sins goes. Okay, let me get the sexual ones out of the way first because they're the biggies. Fornication, impurity, passion, and evil desire. The place was awash with grave wickedness. It was the power of the world. This was Rome. This was glory and won all the victories, all the battles, had god-emperors. Great law pro, you know, system that our laws are based on. Great engineering feats and slavery and sexual perversion in the media. Yes, they had media. Because they had popular novels and guess what? They were dirty. And yes, there were thousands, and they didn't have printing presses. You know what they had? Big rooms with people copying, so everyone could have a copy of something by what's that guy's name? Ob- not Albert. Ob- I was thinking um, not uh, Petronius. go, Oh, yeah. yeah. Pretty, pretty bad stuff that you can't make movies about that sort of thing, no matter so don't think the apostles were giving advice in a culture that was full of Ozzy and Harriet and, and decent ungodly people they were indecent ungodly people and we are, that's what's earthly including covetousness which is idolatry on account of these the wrath of God is coming On account of that. God's judgment was coming, and that's what Paul said it was coming for, the sins they had. In these you once walked when you lived in them. But now, put them all away. Say that, put to death. Put them all away. And then he talks about attitudes that are evil. Anger, wrath, malice slander and foul talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another seeing you have put off the old nature with its practices and have put on the new nature which is being renewed in the knowledge after its image of, after the image of its creator. So keep it straight. Some of these things are talked about as if they have happened and some talk to you about you doing them. It says to put off or put to death certain things put certain things away seeing you have put off the old nature keep it straight what is the case of your belief about your nature of things have i put, is my conversion to christ did i die with him and was i raised with him have i changed in nature to old to new nature and then am i asked standing in those things to act in a certain accordance with it Do not lie to one another, seeing you have put off the old nature. And it's being renewed. The new nature is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. You are pointing to the heavens and looking to where Christ is, where he's seated above, where all treasures of wisdom and knowledge are held. Everything is there in him, and I'm looking to grow the effect of of this thing that has happened. Now, these other puts, put to death is just put to death. Put, um, put away is a concept of lay aside. Okay? Okay, say I, I play solitaire on my computer. It's amazing how automatic starting the next game is. You just can't stop. The wife calls you to come help in the kitchen. Can't stop. Gotta start another game. I'll just be a second. I'll be done with this quickly. i better start another one, but I keep losing. Putting something aside. Laying something aside. It's a different concept than putting to death, laying aside, and then the other one is put on them. That's different. In our language it said put and put. You know how the word love is often talked about in the Bible? And you just go, okay, is it eros, is it philia, is it sorge, is it agape? You have to choose which it is. These are different concepts. Putting away is laying aside, deciding to put something down that you were holding, due-dealing with, letting it go. And putting on is getting dressed. When Mother used to yell, like, put on your shoes. Right? put those back on. Those of us who are married, us males, have very patiently, with God in us, waited as our wives, having tried to put on seventeen different outfits and matching shoes, decided that they needed more. And we know that that's an old comic thing of women and their You know, a guy could just walk by his closet and be dressed for the occasion. But women in this case are more the good example of what it means to put on. I'm doing a wedding this afternoon, one I didn't expect to do until a day ago, two days ago. In my backyard. No, it's not a pregnancy thing. <laughs> I was talking to the bride. I said, what's the deal? What's the drill? This is kind of informal, sudden. What, uh, what do you want me to wear? She says, I'm, a, I'm wearing a floor-length dress. I'm, I said, should I wear a suit? She said, yes, you should wear a suit. <laughs> okay. It's good to know. Why? Because the bride thinks it's appropriate. I should wear it. Have you ever realized that when someone sends you an invitation and it says white tie, it probably came to the wrong address. It's not for you. You're an Idahoan who doesn't know what the phrase white tie means. You might have heard of black tie, you might have heard of that, but probably still not for you. You should probably turn down the invitation because you're not going to dress appropriately. You'll barely dress appropriately if it says formal, in which case you'll wear a sweater and maybe your dad's tie. Women seem to care a bit more, right? They understand. They know everything rises and falls in their acceptance in society, and society makes harsh, harsh judgments. If you're not wearing the right thing, Well, the Lord wants you to wear the right thing, too. Because you have died with Christ and have been raised with him and have put off the old nature and have put on the new nature and he's asking you to put on clothes that match the circumstance. Dress appropriately for the Christian life. And I don't mean a long enough skirt. I mean the heart of the believer. Because I'm putting off the things that are sin and bad attitudes, and I put on then, I mean stop. not skip over verse 11 here there cannot be Jew, and Greek and Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised barbarian, Scythian, slave free man, but Christ is all and in all if I fall back into the world's view, I'm falling back into religious standards, rules cultural demands that are put on me from whatever background I'm in, I'm in Christ I'm thinking, you know how Paul says a few times in Peter, talks about women's modesty and he says, I don't mean what you're wearing. Don't be thinking, when I say modesty, I want you to be thinking about what you're wearing. I want you to be thinking about good deeds that befit a woman who professes religion. We're about something else. We're not of earthly measurements. We look at Christ And we put on them, Christ is all and in all, put on them as God's chosen ones. Remember who you are. Dead in Christ, raised with him, dead to the old nature, alive to the new nature, holy and beloved, compassion, kindness, lowliness, meekness, and patience forbearing one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. You want to go back and read that list? She said, well, I really wasn't planning on becoming impure and fornicating my way around the town, but I also, I'm American, and I wasn't planning on compassion, kindness, lowliness, meekness, and patience, because that's not quite manly enough for me. Well, again, you arrogant bastard which is a pretty good beer. Which I first had, this has nothing to do with the sermon, at a teacher in service I was doing in Virginia, and uh, they gave a bottle of Arrogant Bastard. It's a porter, or is it a stout? Gave it to a teacher there as an award because he was an arrogant bastard he did not take it well as American pastors will often not do you got to decide just like you, you might say you're manly you're everything that north Idaho could ask for in a favorite sun you're willing to fly the confederate stars and bars off the back of your truck you're a man You've got to decide whether you're going to follow the teaching of God, the Christ, Apostle Paul, St. Timothy, and real Christians everywhere when it says, have compassion, kindness, lowliness, meekness, and patience. And then it says, and above all, verse 14, above all these, put on love. You know, Paul's big on that. Christianity's big on that. Well, what do you mean by love? When well, I don't mean fall in love with people. I mean you could go read chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians and find out what it is. It's patient and it's kind. It does not insist on its own way. These are the things you dress in because you have been made like this. Your sin life, let's say you, should, you still sin sometimes, your sin life is like you're a left-handed person. Anybody here left-handed? Okay, we can take them. Okay, all the godly, grab those two, throw them into the outer darkness. Now, what say if the these left-handed people? You do know the word sinister means left. Gauche means left. Say suddenly you were made right-handed because God is good. You can also argue St. Paul might have been left-handed, because Trevor Benjamin, but you know, I digress. But say, this is the illustration. You've always been left-handed, you've written that funny you know, sort of way that only cripples right. And then suddenly you were dexterous, which means right, dexter means right, sinister, left. Dexterous, just like you were born this way, writing flowing script like they use in heaven with your right hand going the right way on the paper but occasionally you find yourself going back to that old way I kind of like this God's looking at you like didn't I just fix that God fixed you wonderfully he's made you right handed all of you you are more of a good creation than you ever were before I was out riding my motorcycle the other day, which I had not ridden a motorcycle in decades. I used to ride the same brand of motorcycle, a Triumph, a British bike. My lovely wife bought it for me. and we. But they used to have the gear shift on the right side in England. And then they said, we're selling these in America. Why don't we get this worked out like every other motorcycle? So they put the gear shift on the left side. Well, I used to ride the bikes back in the 70s and my foot still goes under my brake pedal and tries to change gears with the brake pedal because I didn't realize my bike had passed from death to life. My bike had, the old nature had been put away and killed and a new nature was there. I was like a left-handed person being transported into a right-handed world and healed. But that's what you've been given. And it's not a playing dress-up. It's not your little daughter and your, you know, our nephews and nieces used to come over when they were little and the girls would play in Leslie's high heels. Because, you know, she had high heels. It's always silly to see a five-year-old in high heels. What's that called? Dress-up. No, you're not being asked to dress up. You're supposed to dress appropriately. Honesty in what you say. It's not pretension. A little child dresses up at a maturity they don't have. A a hypocrite will play dress up in the ways that sound godly and compassionate and patient, but you're hearing impatience and non-compassion instead from them. You have deep opinions about these things. That will help you lay them aside. It's only when you really realize that you have to leave, you have to go help, that you put the solitaire game down. When you really know that, when you really know, when you process that it now is the time, you set it aside. You, when you really do love the circumstance you are going to, and whether it's a funeral or a wedding or a fancy dress dinner, you go, I don't know what white tie is, but I'm going to look it up, and I'm going to buy the necessary, because i got to go. The opinions come on strong. They're deep. But you'll pick them up. And you'll pick them up easily because you are that sort of person. You put on love. Binds everything together in perfect harmony. And then it says, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. To which, indeed, you were called in the one body. The peace, let the peace of Christ. I mean, you're making too much of individual three-letter words. Like put, let, set, Maybe I have too much time on my hands. You do all these things, and then you let peace. It's like that passage in Philippians 4. If you give all these things to God, and then it says, and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. This kind of dress, in accordance with who you are in Christ, Look to, measured, seeing it as a good creation that God wants to bring to pass. You could just let peace rule. It brings the order that you want in your life. And be thankful. It sounds like grandma or mom. Thank your uncle Sal- uh, Uncle Sally. Aunt Sally for the socks, Evan. Thank you, Aunt Sally, for the song. How long do we have to be told to thank the obvious? Someone gives you a gift, it's wrapped up in paper with a ribbon, you had to tear into it. Why is it sort of like, I lost my mind, I don't know what I'm supposed to do next. I'm playing with the toy and my parents come to me and say, don't you think you ought to thank your grandparents for the gift? And be thankful. You walk through a world that is incredibly wonderful you walk through as people who have been changed by the maker of this world into new creatures that fit his world the good creation he atten- intended is being made in you thank him for heaven's sake let the word of christ dwell in you richly teach and admonish one another in all wisdom and sing psalms hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God maybe if you go back and start reading at the first of Colossians and go this is it, this is the Christ my life is the Christ my death was in the Christ my raising was in the Christ my redemption was in the Christ my hope of glory is in the Christ all wisdom and knowledge is in the Christ I think I probably ought to take a moment and thank him and I'm not only that but I think I need to sing I think I do because who, how can you express especially writing left handed such wonderful thoughts you sing a hymn and whatever you do in word or deed do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God the Father through him Everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. That just doesn't mean in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Do everything in the name of Jesus. We're we're looking to him. We set our minds above where he is. You have a choice to begin with. Are you arrogant or are you one of the submissive to this? This is Christianity. This is what it looks like. You could take this chapter and run Christianity till the end of time without a reference to anything theological outside of this. This is enough. Christ, the fullness of deity, all good things. Let's thank him. So, let's thank him. Dear Lord, we're grateful. You've been too kind. Help us remember it. We'd ask that we would become part of your good creation. And in your son's name, Our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.